just in case you're wondering who it is you're speaking to you, my name's Steve. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. My job is simply to be something of a shepherd and to guide people through God's words. And as, well, as I knew that we'd have a few people in who weren't normally in, I thought I'd give you a little window into um, who I am. Uh, so I thought I'd tell you about, well, it's 1986. I'm aged 10 years old. Very significant it was. Some of you are doing the maths, which means I'm 33 now, okay, you can forget thinking about that, carry on listening, good. Uh, something significant happened. I saved up what was £1.99, and for the very first time, I went out and bought this item. 1986, £1.99, something of a rite of passage. What would I have been buying in 1986 for £1.99 for the first time? Membership of Wham Club. <laughs> okay, let's park that idea for a minute. Good. Any other ideas? What could you get? I'll give you a clue. It's round. Got it from the Asda. Not a record. A single. I bought my very first single. I bought Evie, who's 16, sitting there going, a single? What's one of them? <laughs> it's something you download on iTunes, my love, all right? We used to have these plastic things with like frisbees, you stick them on this thing needle, <laughs> scratch, yeah, okay. I bought my very first single, 1986, okay. Uh, it wasn't one. Any suggestions as to what it might be? Michael Jackson, no, no, actually it wasn't. He released Bad in 1987, so he didn't release a single in 86. Anyone else? <laughs> Say again? No, they played City Rollers in their early 80s. Come on, I know your music trivia, will you? I'll give you a clue. Um, New Kids on the Block, that was 89, 90. I got them later. i tell you who it was. George Harrison. George Harrison. Does anybody know what song he released in that? My no, it wasn't that one. That one was rubbish. That's it. Got my mind set on you. Click this up if you would please, Fiona. Okay, this is how it goes. I'm not, no, I'm not going to sing it. I love this song. It's great. It's great. Okay, I've got my mind set on you. 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 And then you've got the chorus, well, the verses, which aren't showing very well. I'll, I'll fix that later. It says, but it's going to take money, a whole lot of spending money. It's going to take plenty of money to do it right, child. Okay, he's got his mind set on somebody. He's like, full steam ahead. Next up it says, it's going to take time, a whole lot of precious time. It's going to take patience and time to do it right, child. And then finally, you saw this is like the, uh, through the, the medley bit that goes in the middle. And this time I know it's real. The feeling that I feel, I know that if I put my mind to it, I know that I really can do it. Now, why have I picked that? Why have I taken you back to 1986? Why have I myself? I'll tell you why. Because that's what a mindset is. That's what, when you have your mind set on something, it's not just about what goes on in the grey cells up here, is it? It's not just about using your intellect. To have a mind set on something, it's a lot deeper than that. It, it sort of encapsulates your thought life, your passions, your heart, your whole direction, the orientation of the way you're going. And you notice what he did there. As he was singing it, he was showing what a mindset's like. You know, he, he's planning it. If you've got a mindset towards something, you, you plan it with that in mind. So he's planning his money. It takes commitment. So he's saying, oh, it's going to take time and it's going to take patience, but I'm going to stick with it. This is the way I'm going. It's the plan I'm set on. It's my mindset. And this is the other thing. is When you've got a mindset, it's the thing that's most real to you. It's the thing that in the morning you wake up thinking about. 
It's the thing that as you go to bed, you're already planning for the next day. When you've got your mind set on something, when you've got a mind set towards something, it's the thing that feels the most real. Now, I was watching uh, that terrible TV program last night, Britain's... Um, well, me and Nathan, Nathan, we were talking about this, and I said, it should be called Britain's Got Talent, it should be called Britain's Got Problems. But there they were, and you could see how much they had got a mind set on winning as best they can. But that's on the telly, it's close to home, isn't it? We can have a mindset on things immediate to us. Perhaps it's the idea of getting that job that we've been pursuing for a while, so we will plan for it, we'll be committed to it, we will take time out and even sacrifice to get it, we'll, we will take uh, extra training, we'll scheme, we'll dream, and it feels so real that if I get that job, everything will be alright. Or else it could be, well, some of you are mums with kids, aren't you? Your mindset is towards them, that's what you're focused on, that's what you're fixed on, so you'll plan to work for their well-being, which is a great thing. You know, you'll be committed, which is what we want. We're more and more parents being more and more committed. And your kids are the thing that feels the most real to you. They're the things that, well, if you woke up one morning and they weren't there, you just wouldn't know what to do because your mind's set on them. Perhaps it's the new fella. Sometimes it's getting that new fella, isn't it? The amount that you... If you're a girl, that is. If the amount of time and energy you will invest in looking right, it will take plans, it will take commitments, it, and it feels so real that if I get that fella who's broad at the shoulder, thin, thin at the hip, oh, brilliant. It feels so real, because your mind is set on it. Now, why on earth, Steve, are you talking about all this? I'll tell you why. Many people wrestle, and I'm guessing that you have been that person. If not now, then you will have been, or you will be. That person who wrestles with whether or not you are right with God. Have I done enough? Am I acceptable to God? Am I in with Him? Is He just way off there? He's a distant judge. One day the Bible tells me I'm going to meet Him and I'll have to face up to Him. But have I done enough? Am I in? Am I above the pass mark or am I below it? And if you've been with us regularly here, you'll know that our hope of trying to do that on our own is futile, useless, and it can't be done. In fact, up to this point in the book of Romans, Paul shouted loudly at us and said, listen, you can't do enough to get yourself acceptable with God. You need him to do something for you. You cannot get a high enough grade, but he has sent his son to pay the penalty for our wrong against others and against God and to break us free from our almost addiction to running away from God and getting as far away from us. He has set us free from the penalty and power of sin. And that's what it means to be a Christian. Somebody who's just trusted that God can do what we cannot do for ourselves. And yet, you can still be a Christian and go, Oh no! Am I really in with God? I've heard that Jesus stuff and it sounds too good to be true, but... Well, the reason I struggle with this and the reason I wrestle with this is because I know I've been told that I've been set free to live for Him, but... I messed it up again this week. Flew off the handle, went out wasting my money on that thing said those cruel words to those people, looked at that thing that I know just is so horrible and degrading. And I'm wrestling with it. It seems that I, I believe that Jesus can be everything I need him to be, and yet I've, I've, I've messed up again. Or else perhaps for some of you went to the doctors this week, and you've heard about how the Lord Jesus is, he's the one who will defeat sin and death. And you've got that bad news this week, that actually your body is giving way on you. Let's face it. Only the young people here, you don't realise this, but the second that you get to a certain age, you realise that you are on the down escalator all the way. I don't know whether any of you watch really boring uh, commercial TV first thing on a Sunday. 
it's a terrible thing. I mean, I get a nice and early to prepare for the service, and I, sometimes I'll drift out, just catch the first bit of the news, I'll flip through the channels, and there they all are. I counted five separate uh, channel commercial infomercials that were all about everything from essence of beauty to beautiful essence to pilates. I don't know what pilates are. They sound like some sort of Spanish food, but apparently they're, they're sort of exercises you do to fight the flap. And there's all these channels saying, no, no, you can fend off death, you can fend off death, you can fend off death, and yet you and I know, no, you can't. It's a reality, one in one people die. You don't get out of this life alive. And suddenly you become aware of the fact that although you've trusted Jesus, your body's wasting away. Does that mean I'm not in with God? There's my present failure, and there's the presence of the marks of not being right with God. Does that mean I'm not a believer? Does that mean I'm not in the right place with God? Maybe this... Christian gospel message business is a trick and it's not real. And here in this little bit of Romans, Paul is talking to people who have that wrestle and that struggle. And he wants to give them the silver bullet that will help them know once and for all whether or not they are in with God. And guess what? It's got nothing to do with their performance. And guess what? It's got nothing to do with whether how long their life is. It's got something totally and radically different. Can I know that I am in a right place with God? Yes, says the Apostle Paul who wrote Romans. Here's how. You can tell by what your mind's set on. You can tell by what your mind's set on. You can diagnose where you are spiritually with God by what gets you up in the morning, what makes you tick, what you set your heart on, what you're driving at, what you plan for, what you're committed to, and what feels most real to you. So right now, I realise that some of you came along to support the family for the baptism. Thank you. You're so welcome. I'm really encouraged that you do. But there's a bigger opportunity before you. It's for you to do something of a spiritual diagnosis, according to the Bible's way of looking at things, to see where you are with the God who made you and loved you. And it's not difficult. It's not like there's sort of like a, uh, some sort of spectrum or a curve, you know, a rainbow of all the different blending colours. Well, maybe I'm... No, and it's dead easy. Even I can get this one. There's only two mindsets to choose from. Okay, and they're both here in this passage. There's only two to choose from. You're either this one or you're that one. There's no in-between. There's no fence. There's no sitting on the fence. You are either there or you're there. Everybody in this room, no. Everybody on planet Earth right now... That we're not divided ultimately by the colour of our skin or the amount of money in our bank account or what sect or, or where we live or anything like that. We're divided, according to God, into these two groups, one with one mindset, one with another. Let's see them here and we'll have a look one at a time, okay? The first, well, hold on. Change for us if you would. Can you see that at the back? Is it clear enough? I reckon it, uh, Can you turn it to yellow? That work. No, you give me a pain expression. Is that because you don't like yellow or because you can't do it? Okay, well you go for the colour that you like, Fiona. We'll come out polka dot spotted, okay? Okay, two mindsets. Mindset number one is the one set on the sinful nature. Mindset number two is the one set on what the spirit desires. You're like, hold on, Steve, what on earth do you mean by that? Well, that's why I'm here to help you think about this. Take your Bibles again. Let me just read it through to you again. Hold on, I'll wait for you to do it. No? That's not working either, is it? I'll just leave it like that. I can see that now. Well, that's good. Right, okay. Brilliant. Have a look again at your Bible, will you? Can you see the big number eight? Let's go down to number five. Again, you need to check that this isn't my idea. This is what God has to say. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires, which is our mindset. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the 
spirit desires. So what's this first one, this mindset on the sinful nature? Sounds nasty. And the answer is, it is. You see, up to this point, the Apostle Paul has taken us through with a measure of honesty that does us so much good, which I don't think anybody in this room would deny, that within each one of us, and it pops out and shows itself from time to time, there is a dark mass in our hearts which makes us capable of saying and doing and sometimes we're all thinking the most cruel and ugly and horrible things. Praise God we don't always back those horrible thoughts out. I used to really sort of think, think I was okay with God because I didn't realise that he knew what was going on in my head. And then I read, read Psalm 139 which says, I discern your thoughts from afar. And I thought, oh, no, I'm stopped. Because there's this mass inside of me that I'm glad you lot can't see. But you know what? There's a mass inside of you that you're very glad. You know, I tell you the worst place that a nation or even a person can be in is at that point where you learn, uh, lose the ability to blush and be ashamed of things that you've said, thought and done. Well, thankfully, in the Bible, there's an honesty to say what it is we're really like, and there's this dark mass, and it's called the sinful nature. I and mean, then we've seen this horrendous thing that's happened up in the Lake District this week, and it just, you just think, hold on, that shouldn't happen. And in fact, that's, that's the way that the papers have reported it, haven't they? There's this terrible shooting, 12 people dead, a whole stack of others injured, communities just left reeling, and what on earth was this? And the mood of the newspapers is... is Surprised that this can even happen. And yet if you read back through human history, we should be surprised that this thing doesn't happen more often. I'm not asking for it to happen more often. I'm glad that it's, it doesn't. But we shouldn't be surprised, should we? Because we know that within each one of us there is a horrible darkness. It's called the sinful nature and it is ugly because it is radically self-centered. The sinful nature, the thing that... We could, maybe we're putting our mind on that even now, is the thing that puts me at the centre of everything. So it turns me inward. And it can be very respectably done, but let me test you. Here we go. Here's your little test as to whether or not the sinful nature is at work in your life, okay? I reckon most of you experienced it as you walked in. This thing going on inside you. So perhaps, as you walked in, you said things quietly to yourself, maybe even subconsciously. Someone noticing me? Somebody's going to talk to me. I wonder whether anybody here cares how I feel. Oh, I don't know whether I like this song. Oh, somebody over there, they're better at singing than me. I wonder whether anybody will notice. Oh, reading the Bible. She got to read the Bible. I wish I could read the Bible. And it goes on, it goes on, and it goes on. It's that incessant little thing where we're centred on me. I'm going to embarrass myself again by telling you another film I was watching the other night. The teenagers will give me a big cheer. Everybody else will go, what are you watching, Steve? Have you heard of the Twilight Saga? Yeah, you've seen that? Oh, yeah. Oh, not just the teenagers nodding with a big smile on their face. So, Twilight Saga, as best I can understand this, okay, the Twilight Saga, a nervous 17-year-old girl moves to a new school, an area she doesn't know, goes, and she's very nervous and doesn't like to be seen. But she gets eyes to this rather handsome, dashing fella who's in a group of people who just keep away, him and his family keep away from the rest. And as the story goes on, they find out there's a very good reason why. She falls for him, he falls for her, and it's only then that she finds out that he's not quite what she thought. He's a vampire. It's very realistic, this. What am I watching? And 
the, the, the whole story revolves around this girl and her introversion and her thinking about herself. And so there's two bits that I was like, what? They don't have to show off what we like, the, sim- the simple nature. There's one situation where she's sitting down with her friendly killer. And, um, you know, you and I would be scared stupid, about to get eaten alive. This pure killing, eating machine who, who, who blood is like heroin to him. And he's sitting down calmly in the cafeteria, as, as a vampire would, and says, do you want to come round to my house to meet your family for tea? Now, you and I, warnings would be up, wouldn't they? Perhaps. He talks about all his family members, you know, there's Rosalie and Alice and Emmett and all of them, like I said. And then she pipes up and just completely out of the blue, totally blankly, what if they don't like me? And he looks at her and goes, hello, I'm taking you to vampires, and you're worried about whether they like you or not. And there's an immediate alarm going off. What's going on in her head and her heart? What does she think of first? She's more, less worried about getting killed than what people think of her. And then it comes up again, you know. Uh, there's a, they're sitting in the cafeteria again, and he's trying not to eat her alive there and there on the spot. And he says, oh, I've got this power, I can read people's minds, but I can't read your minds. At which point she goes, oh, is there something wrong with me? And he looks at her and laughs in her face and goes, hold on, I've just told you I can read minds and you think you're worried there's something wrong with you? Why? What is going on in that 17-year-old girl, and it could be a 17-year-old boy? There's a radical self-centeredness that the only person who's on our horizon most of the time is us. And when other people get on their horizon, they only get onto our horizon because they're valuable to our thoughts, plans and intentions, desires and purposes. You see, we have our mindset radically on us, set on me. Just like George Harrison had his mindset radically. We will plan, commit, and make feel real the things that we want for us. And if God is very lucky, he gets on our Christmas cards. If he's very, very lucky. And the trick here is you can be incredibly respectable, you can be com- incredibly committed, you can be a generally all-round nice person, you can come to church, sit in church for years... And you've got to keep hidden this radical self-centeredness because we're so good at hiding it. Will God go my way? Well, listen to what he has to say until, until he gets in the way of what I want. That's what we can see here. Look down at verse 7. Can you see that there? The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. It says there, in this translation, it says, it's hostile to God. Literally, in the original, it's hostility. It's like, basically, shaking the fist at God. We were made by God to have our minds set on Him. So He's the centre. He's the focus. He's the joy. He's the thing that we plan for, commit to. He's the one who is most real in our life. A, A living relationship with the very author of life sits open to us. And what do we do? We get obsessed with our job or that relationship, or that child, or all of which are good things. But we trade down so empty. And in so doing, we insult him and declare him of no value compared with those other things. And so all so politely we can say, you are nothing to me. And whenever you do that, you're declaring yourself an enemy of God. Look there, it's even stronger in verse 8. You can see it again in verse 8. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. If you're in the grip of this sinful nature, that's what your mind is set on. It's not that you don't set your mind on God. It's stronger than that. It's that you just can't. You're trapped in it. 
Do you try and turn your thoughts to God five minutes in every hour? You won't get to do it on your own because you'll be too busy. You're too big on your own horizon. So here's a test for you. I said this is for you to try and work out where you're at, which two of these two groups. There's only two groups to be in. Here's a test for you. As you listen to this message, forget whether or not I'm a good communicator, who cares? As you listen to this message from God's Word, do you care? Are you bothered? Are you thinking about what the food, how we're going to get on in the footy in the World Cup? Are you worried about the food burning? Are you preoccupied with what else is going to go on in the week? If you're in that place, then that's a really bad sign. Because it says that the biggest thing on your horizon isn't God. It's you. Or your interests. Or the things that are important and valuable to you. I'm not saying there shouldn't be things that are important and valuable to you. But if they take the place of God, then they will kill you. It says here that this mindset leads to death. So what should you do right now? If you feel a worry or, or sense that that's where my heart and direction is going, then you need to cry out to God and say, Lord, I cannot get myself out of this jam. I'm trapped in it. Please, Lord, will you intervene in me? Would you come in and do something radical different in me? I am so, in some sense spiritually lost, dead and at sea. Lord, please, will you grab me back? You see, when God leaves you alone, which so often we want if we're living according to the sinful nature, when you walk out on the author of life, there's only one direction you're heading, and it's death. And we experience that in the mess that we live now as a foretaste of being cut off from God for all eternity when we meet him as our judge. Life falls apart. That is one mindset. Now is that the one that Paul wants for us all to have? Oh no. He wants us to be and have the second mindset. He's saying, get away from that one as far as you can. Go for this one. So, very briefly, very quickly, let's look at this second mindset. It's the second mindset. Is it up there? Oh, we've lost it. Oh, brilliant. Lovely. The other one, set on the simple nature, me at the centre. The other one, set on what? The spirit desires. The spirit of the true and living God. Have, have, have any of you seen the, the cartoon version of the lion, the witch and the wardrobe? Have you seen that? Have you seen any of the versions of the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe? Let me tell you very quickly the story. There's the nasty white queen who's ruling over Narnia and she's sort of like a devil type character and when anybody tries to do anything other than what she wants she turns them, points the wand at them, that turns to stone. And one of my favourite moments is, is in the film is when Aslan, the great conquering, rescuing lion, seeing all of those stone figures who are dead by all accounts, broken, wrecked, ruined, he walks up to them and for anybody else they can't do anything about it. Those people who are dead can't do anything about it. He walks up and he breathes on this dead thing and it comes back to life. It's, it's, it's good so they can smile, they can dance, they can feel the warmth of the sun on their face again. They're now alive as they were supposed to be as that breath comes and just doesn't just hit the outside and penetrates right into the centre. And that is what we are being told. That's a picture by C.S. Lewis of what happens when somebody becomes a Christian. It's not about signing up to a set of beliefs. It's not about sitting still for long enough on a Sunday. It's not because I own the Bible or because I'm born in a Christian country. It's got nothing to do with that. It's because God literally invades into your life. Not on the outside. He invades right into your heart and mind. Have you experienced that? 
the way that you'll know whether or not God has intervened is he will have changed your mindset. I need to just push this one a little bit further, embarrass myself even further. So I've told you about CD I've bought, I've told you I watched Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe, I've told you I watched Twilight. Oh, the shame of my family is that we were brought up on Star Trek. My wife just won't watch them. Good on you. But I love them. I think Star Trek, you know, shields up, beam me up, Mr. Scott, brilliant. Who's right? Okay, I'm not the only sadder one here. I know Derek will know the answer to it. No offence. Uh, Derek will know the answer to this. Star Trek 3. Who can remember the name of Star Trek 3? Me, you no, that's number two. You're out of the club. The search for Spock. <laughs> right, keep away from the other leper in the building. Brilliant. Okay. The search for Spock. And they go searching for him because he's dead and he's brought back to life. How does that happen? Well, they've come up with this device called the Genesis Effect. They shoot this device into like a cave where everything's dead. And there, it sort of does its voodoo black magic, and the rocks that are dead and cannot relate to anything suddenly come alive and knit themselves together and grow these beautiful plants. The cave that is, is totally, well, the air that's dead as well, suddenly comes alive and it can feed everything. Suddenly, it, it's a recreation. The old theologians, when they talk about what happens to somebody when they become a Christian, it's not that simply they start saying, yeah, I agree with that and sing louder in church. They use the language of recreation. It's actually um, regeneration. The Genesis effect wasn't brought up and thought up by Star Trek. Thank goodness. It's taken straight out of Romans chapter 8, where God invades a life and brings life where there is death. Life from lifelessness. So that, and this is the way to check whether it's happened to you, your plans, like George Hansen, totally radically changed. Your commitments. What feels most real to you? It's now the love of God. Your old plans, your direction of your life, you had things that you have set on, determined to go for, but now it has been totally and radically changed. You want his plans fit for you. So a Christian will say, Lord, I don't know where you're going to lead me. And to be honest with you, I almost don't care because I know that if you are leading me, then I will be okay. Take me, Lord, as I am. I'm not much. I want your plans. I want your commitment to me, Lord. I know how you've sent your son to die on a cross, to pay the penalty for my sin, to break the power of my sin, so that now I can be right with God, and nothing I can do can even wreck that, nothing anybody else can do can wreck that. I'm yours, I now belong to you. Other people may say I'm worthless, but you even spilt your blood so that you you could have me. I'm valuable, I belong to you. You've committed to me, and that's what I want. Christ, I want to be my king. And the Spirit comes into our life and makes that the biggest reality. So that it used to be that you were crushed when a boss or a colleague or a neighbour said something cruel to you. It would crush you because that was your biggest reality. But now you say, do you know that hurts? But it doesn't crush me. Because Jesus Christ is my reality. I'm his It used to be that you were crushed when you didn't earn enough to buy the nice things that you wanted. Because you were defied by what you bought. But now, do you know what? I'd like to be to buy that. But my mindset, my reality, by the Spirit, is Christ and his promises to me. It used to be that you were crushed by your own fear of failure. If people find out what I'm like, I have got nothing. I've got to to put up a phone, got to pretend. 
But now, yeah, there's things about myself that I'm glad I haven't got on show all day. But the reality, the thing that is big and real is the Lord says, I know the worst about you and I love you anyway. God has promised to be with me. He is my reality and that's what the Spirit does. He comes in and he showcases to you and me in our heads and in our hearts all that God has done for us and we get a new mindset. And so some of you have turned into complete freaks. Maybe even 12 months ago, the idea of listening to God's Word, the Bible, you were like, what? But now you can't wait to hear God's message to you. It never used to occur to you that listening to Jesus was important. In fact, when people used his name, it was just a swear word or in an awkward and nasty way, you were like, oh, I don't care. But now when you hear Jesus' name used in a cruel way, it hurts you deep inside. Because you know he's the one who saved you and died for you. The idea of setting your alarm early so you can get up and read the Bible and pray for other people, don't be, don't be daft. The idea of saving up money to pay so that I can go and help people in Albania who live on, may as well be the other side of the world and we're sending four people from our church who never would have thought of that 12 months ago. That idea, nuts, but now you're like, right, what do I need to do, organise, sacrifice so that I can go and serve in the name of the Lord? I never used to care when I flew off the handle and was angry with people. But now when that happens, I don't like it anymore because my mind is set on Jesus Christ. Now, have you been through that change? Have you been through that change? Because if you are, you're a believer. You're right with God. If not, then I would say to you, please, 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 come back and look at these promises. Please think, say, Lord, if it is true that I get right with you purely by what you've done, and you do the work in me, then help me to get it. Would you give me this mindset? Would you help me to see and know that you are the Lord? Would you be the big reality in my life? And so perhaps you'd say, what can turn me? What can change me? The answer is, it's not going to be by your effort. Because each one of us, this sinful nature within us, it's like that deep mass. I haven't called it this yet, but I'll call this to finish. It's like a tumour. Now, some of you have got very personal experience of cancer, and it's a cruel thing, but, but what is cancer? Cancer is cell growth, gone wrong, gone bad, which gradually, slowly kills you bit by bit until you're thoroughly dead. The Bible tells us that that sinful nature that we would naturally be in is like cancer, because it is spiritual life, gone bad, and it gradually kills us, until we're spiritually dead forever. You need chemo. You need chemotherapy. Spiritual chemotherapy, which is Christ and all that he has done. The Spirit comes into your life, takes what Christ has done for people like you and me, and burns it into your heart so you are never the same again. It burns out. And that's the story of the Christian life, ongoing, bit by bit, by bit, by bit, by bit, turning away from all the, the cancerous, sinful nature inside of us. So we're more and more living like Christ. Are we perfect? No. Have we made it? No. But with his grace with us at work in our life, we're going in that direction. Living the Christian life is not hard or demanding. It's impossible. Unless God is in you every moment. And that's our prayer for the three people who are going to be getting baptised. They've made a confession of faith. They've said, and you'll hear them say this, that they want Jesus to be the heart of their affection. They want to live a life pleasing to him. He has invaded their life, and they can even want that. We can help them even. 
Unless he invades their life, they can't even say that. It's nuts to them. And that's why today is a happy day. Because new life has visited three lives. And if you want that for yourself, then pray now as we sing. Fiona, uh, could you stick this up for us, please? Look at this one. This is what the Spirit needs to burn into your heart. You can see this next song. Whoops. Something there. There we go. There you go. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect plea, because I'm dead good and God should love me. Is that what it says? Oh no. I have a great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for me. It's through Jesus Christ. Next click if you would please. My name is written on his hands, my name is hidden in his heart. I know that while he stands... No power can force me to depart. In other words, I'm in through Jesus. Hold that up in front of your eyes. The Spirit will take that and burn that into your life and you'll never be the same again. Shall we stand and sing together?